Welcome to episode 14 of What Most People Think. How, how are you doing in, in, in the coup, the coup that's happening in Britain? Because obviously Britain is now a fascist state. Are you, how are you coping? Are there any curfews yet in your town? Have you, is, there, is there a garrison of troops at the retail park? I mean, this really is a very, a very much an actual coup that's happening and not at all Remainer paranoia and hysteria. Anyway, listen, welcome to the show. This is uh, this is called What Most People Think. And if this is the first time you're listening, it's a show about politics and life. That I suppose it's coming at it from the slightly unwoke end of the spectrum. You know, not just trying to upset or piss people off, but also perhaps not towing the line of some of the comedy that you might hear on topical panel shows. And today we've got such a great guest today. We've got Henning Vane, who, to my, as far as I know, doesn't do many interviews or podcasts, but he was up at the Edinburgh Fringe, and so was I. So I managed to drag Henning down, Henning down to Leith, uh, where I was staying. Because you see a lot of these kind of, you know, these these middle class, like, socialist comics, when they're at Edinburgh, they stay in the meadows, you see. They stay in the nice places. But me, I, I, I go to Leith, mate. Proper fucking place, you know what I mean? I, w- I want to stay in a place where you can get heroin at the cost cutter. Do you know what I mean? Um, and we, me and Heron, me and Heron, uh, me and Heron, that's my, that'll be the autobiography. Uh, me and Henning, we spoke about uh, his comedy, how he got into it in Britain. We spoke about German politics, British humour, German anti-EU sentiment, and, you know, the usual stuff, who would win in a fight between Chuka Amuna and Sajid Javid. We also uh, did the letters as ever. And it was just, it was just great. Such a funny, interesting guy, like an absolute one-off. So I hope you enjoy uh, this chat as much as I did. Um, so obviously I'm back from the Edinburgh run now. I've been back a week or so and it was good fun. Thank you to any, everybody that came. It was, you know, I just get a really interesting mix of people, particularly in Edinburgh, because I get people that are really into it, but I also get people that sort I can tell that are going, oh, I'm going to get outside my echo chamber. And then once they're outside their echo chamber, I think they're going, oh, get me back in the chamber, please. Um, so I, I do have a bit of the beginning of the tour show where I'm sort of, well, hitting back, not hitting back at feminism, but sort of saying, all right, if you're going to stereotype men, let, let's do some stereo- modern stereotypes about women. And it, and it was interesting to play with that. So uh, if anybody's bought tickets for the tour, which obviously starts September 19th, um, I'm looking forward uh, to how my audience <laughs> enjoy those bits. And just before we get into the, the main bit of the show, uh, I'm just reacting. I'm recording this little bit. Uh, the day, the night after the the parliament voted... Uh, against something because that's what parliament does now it used to be a place that voted for things but now you know it voted well it did vote to have a referendum and it voted to trigger article 50 uh but now it's no we don't want to do it that way uh we don't want to have no deal we don't want to have an election uh we, we haven't got the balls to revoke article 50 we don't want a second referendum but parliament's become like a fucking teenager that doesn't know what it was no i don't want to do that no that's boring no no that's tiring no at some point Something's got to give. And I, I do wonder whether, you know, the sort of liberal centrist establishment is making a serious miscalculation. I think that what they're thinking is if there was an election or a referendum where Remain and uh, 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 No Deal were against each other, I think that they're all thinking that Remain would definitely win because obviously, you know, they've heard all the stuff I've heard. They've watched my favourite people on Sky News. And I just don't know. I just don't know if it's as easy to predict things in this country anymore. And as, as I said on, on News Quiz, which is still available online, um, there are a lot of people just crying out for decisiveness, right? A direction. And, and another extension? Just be... Why can't just Labour Party just be honest, right? They, they, they set their, their fucking six mythical tests for Brexit... And now they've, they've dis, uh, suggested there are three conditions for an election. They're almost like some weird elf in like a, an old kind of like fairy tale that every time you go back, there's a new set of conditions. Just be honest. Go, really, all of our MPs more or less are anti-Brexit and we're going to try and sit on this until it's run out of energy. We're going to kind of, if we were a footballer, we'd be down by the corner flag trying to play out the clock, even though the clock is both abstract and potentially... Uh, infinite. There are some people right now that would vote for Corbyn because they're worried that leaving the EU would make them poorer. And I think, wow, voting for socialism because you're worried about being poor is <laughs> serious frying pan fire stuff. I mean, like, 
Look, put it this way. You know, if the no-deal Brexit dystopia is bad and we're kind of like hunting for our own rats, under Corbyn, everyone would have like half a rat. That would be the thing. You'd have less. It would be provided by the state, but it wouldn't be enough to live off. Whereas at least if we were all out there, you'd have a chance of having a decent rat casserole. With Corbyn, it would be like, you know, it would be like the bit in a, I'm a Celebrity where they don't win any stars. <laughs> Britain would be in a permanent state of that. You just wouldn't have quite enough to live a good life off. No one would have enough to go. Whereas now you have the haves and the have-nots. They just everyone would be a have-not. Look, before we crack on with Henning, uh, just a couple of thank yous. Well, a thank you and a fuck you. I just want to say thank you, and you're all going to kind of uh, vomit at this. Uh, but thank you to my wife, because um, we're moving house soon, and my hands are fucked, right? I've got carpal tunnel in both hands, and she's having to do lifting. And my wife is, uh, she's a brilliant woman, but she's quite traditional, and, and she she's not happy about lifting stuff. She's not, <laughs> you can just tell. Uh, so I've had to kind of, I think to kind of preserve any shred of masculinity, I'm going to have to get a steroid injection for moving day. Because I think, you know what it's like in a marriage? If, if it goes down in history that on our moving day, as a woman, she carried more boxes than me, I, 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 I get the sense, I get the sense that that might get brought up again. Hey, maybe I'm being, maybe I'm being cynical. I don't know. I, I do think that might come up at some point. Uh, just a quick fuck you is a fuck you to middle age. It, you know, I was fine, man, up until I was about 41. I'm thinking, I'm going to get through this, fine. All these people talk about middle age and your body. I'm, I'm going I'm to evade that. And now, just nothing fixes, man. It's like, it's like my body's on fire. And I, Nurofen, I just, I'm, I'm all about Nurofen now. I'm, I, the amount of painkillers, I, I, I'm like a little sort of medicine man. I'm like a fucking St. Bernard's dog with the kind of shit I've got in my bag that could make people feel better. And none of, none of them are fun drugs. Do you know what I mean? None of them are party drugs. All fucking anti-inflammatories. I'm going to get up, my feet hurt, my fucking hand. Anyway, I'm, I'm just moaning. I could feel you going, yeah, you're just whinging now, Jeff. Well, you know you know what? Sometimes it's good to get stuff off your, off your chest, you know? And in my case, the thing on my chest is phlegm. <laughs> Anyway, look, uh, and then we'll get into the chat with Henning. Like I said, do bear in mind it was recorded uh, at the Edinburgh Fringe, so there's a couple of references to that. But I really, it was such a great opportunity to have a chat to him. And I hope you also enjoy the chat with Mr. Henning Vane. So, Henning Vane, welcome to What Most People Think. Hello. Uh, we're here, we are. We're at the live at the Edinburgh Festival. That sounds. That sounds good. Although this will be going out after the Edinburgh Festival's finished, but you're you're doing a run here and then you're going on tour yeah. in the autumn. So is it this show that you're taking out on tour in the autumn? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've been uh, seeing quite a bit of the country with it. Essentially, it started uh, started last March actually when I started yeah. running it in. Then was here up in Edinburgh at the Caves, a relatively small venue, and uh, was doing a run of it there. And then since then, it's been on the road. Good and proper, and now I've come back with the same with the touring show of the touring version yeah. of. And you do you saying you do two hours? Yeah, including an interval. <laughs> That's a long old stint, and no support or anything like that. No, I hope the audience supports, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not not doing that socialist thing of spreading the love with. Uh, with no, a few, I, find, uh... I always find I find that. If you find someone who really enhances the evening, yeah. then I think it's really good to have a, uh, 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 someone else on in the first half. But then really it has to be part of the show and has to really enhance it. It's no good if just, and now welcome to the stage, some random bloke. And then <laughs> some random bloke or girl does something for 20 minutes. Yeah. Because I know when I'm a ticket buyer, so yes. I will see Jerry Sadovitz. Then always want to see Jerry Sadovitz. And uh, yeah. so he always has got someone random on in the first half. And then I always think, that doesn't really help the evening along. No, I know what you mean. I, mean, I think the thing that I get from my point of view, I do have support, but that's because I've noticed that the, the, there's a majority of men that come to my shows. Blokes seem to like it a bit more, and there's often like a long-suffering wife that's brought along. So the way I structure it is I go on and do 20, then... I bring on a support for 20, then we have the interval, because I sort of think it just breaks up a bit of me. You know, if people really do dislike me, I'm giving them an interval from me, and then an interval, and then they're going to have to deal uh, with a lot of me. Yes, yeah, now they are, they are, I'm foolishly confident 
thinking if someone buys a ticket to see me, they will at least tolerate me on yes. stage. So they no, might I'm not sure be too will. enamored, but uh, yeah, so the... Because, I mean, I, I just look at it from a point when, when, uh, when I buy a ticket to see something. Yeah. So, in, say you have got something on, as I said, that really makes it more of an evening. Say, yeah. I had a double act uh, for years with my German friend Otto, Otto Kuhnle. Yes, I remember that, yeah. So, and he's very physical and he just does silly stuff. Yeah. Now, if he was on tour with me and it would bring him on in the first half, that would make sense because that would potentially make it more of an evening or, or would really help it. Uh, but you can think about it long and hard and I just can't think of anyone who would, who would fulfil that role. Yeah, well, I suppose you are like a very unique comic and I think maybe that's where it comes from. I remember very early on, like back in the days of the Jonglers Circuit and stuff like that, where, when, when I first saw uh, you working, I remember I saw you, I think it was at Oxford Jonglers and I think like very early on, you seem to have a really good understanding of like an English or Brit and British audience, you know? Like, where did that come from? Were you here in Britain a long time before that? Had you built it up that way or did you learn it on the circuit? Uh, well, I did come over to Britain in 2002 and started stand-up in late 03. Mm. And uh, so I always socialised. I made a, a conscious effort of not being part of the German expat communities, always socialised with Brits, lived with Brits, and... Uh, there was nothing going on in regards to denying my German roots, but I just made a conscious effort to not read the German papers and just focus fully on trying to immerse myself in the culture uh, while I'm in. But you had that you had that gag, I remember the one you wore, when, when, when you wore the clock around your neck? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah, gag yeah. about German efficiency as well. Yeah. yeah. And audiences just really loved that because it was that thing of going out there and taking ownership of, of, of a couple of stereotypes. Yeah, but that's funny as well because... See, the, the, the idea that I stood there with a stopwatch was that I never in my life, I've never worn a wristwatch. Yeah. Uh, so, and then the comedy circuit is very anal on how long you're meant to be on stage for. And especially in the early days, they say, you have got five minutes. Yeah. Now, I haven't got the first idea how long five minutes is because then mm. I couldn't even check because I haven't got a wristwatch. I said, mm. no, I'm not putting on a wristwatch. Mm. Uh, how, how else can I time myself? Well, with a stopwatch. Where do I put it? Well, around my neck. So, and then, <laughs> so there, was, there wasn't much conscious, there, there was not a conscious decision, but only once I started doing it, well, it's, okay, there also plays into the stereotype about oh, so German. So that was a genuine 100% thing? You weren't taking the piss to begin with? No, I just needed a way of timing myself, because you know what promoters <laughs> are like. So yes, they say, yeah, yeah. you can do five minutes, and then, uh, oh, you've done six and a half, I'll never ever book you ever again. So that's pretty much the Well, it used to, it used to be like that. I'm not, pe I'm, not people are, I'm not sure people are so uh, worried about timekeeping based on a few recent experiences on the circuit. I'm, I miss the days of those efficiency <laughs> of people actually sticking to their time slot. Well, has it all gone slack? I've done a few gigs recently. I'm not, I'm not mentioning any names, but I just noticed that no one seemed to be sticking to their uh, time. You know, you know what it's like? You, there's a tolerance limit on your set length, right? So if it's a 10-minute spot, you might do 9 or 11, maybe even 12. You know what I mean? If it's a 20, you might go 22. 23 is a bit far. 25, you're taking the piss. You know? mm. and I don't know if the punters realise this, but, but there is a delicate balance, isn't there, to a comedy night where, where you know segments of the show are structured in a certain way. And if you start rampantly... Exactly, and then you've got Patrick Monaghan on the bill and then obviously have yes. a of syncing. Well, he's not, so. not alone the, the, these days. I, just think, I think, like you say, it used to be more of a thing, but I wonder now whether... It's based on who's on the lineup. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. uh, some people are given more uh, latitude. And why is that? He said you reckon his ego. Why they go on that much? Just people longer, are slacking, or? Henning. People are slacking. I like the the title of your tour show. I, I've forgotten him. Was it get just get on with it? I mean, you like it, but you can't remember yes, it. Yes, no, so. it was good. It's, <laughs> it's just get on with it. Isn't yeah, it? get yeah, on with it. I love that because it's it's so like um, contrary to the spirit of what people perceive a lot of comedy to be. You know, a lot of comedy now is rightly or wrongly perceived as this kind of touchy feely inclusive. Thing. And actually, it, it literally points a straight a finger straight back at people, and and alludes to the idea of personal responsibility, mm. which you do in your comedy. You know, you're you're, you're willing to go there. Mm. And is is that something that runs f uh, through through the show of uh, being direct with people? Yeah, probably, and runs through my well, my upbringing, isn't yeah. it? I mean, there is that uh, there is that great saying, isn't it? Like uh, Brits are. Uh, Brits are too polite to be honest, and Germans are too honest to be polite. So. <laughs> <laughs>
I mean, that appeals to Brits, so do just get on with it. Yeah. I had an idea for a show, and I still haven't done it yet, called I Blame the Parents. Yeah. I think <laughs> sometimes there's those simple sentiments that everyone kind of like feels on some level, and if you can uh, tap into it. Yeah. Because there is that thing, isn't there, like in, in comedy, where we sort of... Um, I, I do. I find it interesting if, if people are trying to do a brand of comedy that's not mean to anybody... Which is fair enough, it's noble in intent, isn't it? But what it means is it then leaves the only subject matter as you, right? And you're only one person. And that's why I think maybe it's just a lot harder to continually excavate your own personality. Whereas if we're not necessarily in, in films of meanness, but if you're willing to look at other people in society, other groups and other behaviours, it just gives you a, a wider range of targets. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, as they say, stay your time, so there for a reason. Mm. Um, they just make stuff quicker, don't they? <laughs> oh, yeah, they say, oh, you can't judge a book by its cover. Well, you can't read them all. <laughs> I mean, you have to make some assumptions. <laughs> There's that great bit in, a, in, a, in Up in the Air. Have you ever seen it with George Clooney? And yeah. he's talking about his mother's attitude towards stereotyping is that, yes, it's wrong and it's imperfect, but it is quicker. Internet, but do you sometimes find, I mean, you're only doing like Thursdays to Sundays mm-hmm. now, which I think is a genius idea. Because, God, the midweek geese can be such a different flavour to them. The sensibilities, the tone of the room. It's like you're doing a different show. And the good thing I find about doing a show on the Friday and the Saturdays, you don't want to be anywhere else other than in your own venue anyway. Yes. Because everything is so crowded. You can't get beer, can't get a table in a restaurant, can't get tickets to see someone else's show. That's true, yeah. So, therefore, best day to do a show, Friday, Saturday, because it's the only... Other than outside your living room, it's the only place you can be, really. <laughs> I love this clear thing, because obviously you do play this idea like of German efficiency. One of, one of the, two, the two stereotypes globally that I, I've always thought were the least accurate, right, having been to Germany a few times and been to the States a few times, is that the Americans don't understand irony. I just don't think that's true. I don't see evidence of it. I think that they don't like sarcasm, but I think that's a different thing, right? Oh, I have to think about it. Well, I think it's kind of ironic that we think that they don't understand irony. irony. Yeah, but they're dumb, don't they? But I look at the films and you look at those comedies in the late 70s and stuff and I, th- I, I sort of think that they do. And the other one is that, is, is that Germans don't have a sense of humour. I don't, I don't believe this. Yeah, I don't find that funny. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, just, I just factually don't believe it. I mean, I, even, like, even if you look back like 20 or so years when, when Germany were beating uh, England in the Euro, Euro Championships and just started trolling us with, by singing It's Coming Home uh, <laughs> in an English language. So always look on the bright side of life. I think there's a lot of evidence. I, I just don't, I don't know where this came from originally. Yeah. Yeah, now I don't... Mm, well, probably you don't have to look much further back than the war movies where the Germans, mm. for example... Are, but, but there is... Like there is a big social difference in in the uh, in the social importance of humour. Mm. Like in Britain, you have got uh, there is the idea of self-deprecation that you can laugh away failure. Mm. So oh, I've been a right old Wally, but as long as you tell it in a hilarious way, no one will hold it against you. Yeah. And if you tried to do that in Germany, it would make that twice as bad. Right. So what, you messed it up and now you're making a joke about it. <laughs> so yeah, that, yeah. That, that would just be incomprehensible. So and therefore, I think the, the social status of humour is very different. What well, is, is it like, I mean, humour permeates. I remember when there was, um, I read this uh, article saying that in the, in the 80s when a lot more German businessmen were coming, you know, and there was a lot more business being done between Britain and Germany. People had to be schooled in the, you know, the fact that the Brits don't see any situation where humour is not appropriate mm. and is that was that something that you got used to coming over here was the, yeah the I liked to... that I liked that that no one mm. took anything serious uh, mm. seriously uh, but it is for example if you look at the job um, if you look at the job adverts so what yeah. they're looking for is someone with a good sense of humour if someone writes <laughs> their CV it's always you know got good sense of humour you think well how is that going to help with anything <laughs> So can you do numbers? That's, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Do you know how to plumb something? So well, whatever profession it is, a good sense of humour is just such a big part of the culture here. Yeah, whereas yeah. in Germany that would just be seen as, uh, uh, well, uh, what's the word? Su- su- um, superfluous. Superfluous. Thank you. Well, it, I mean, so like you know, in dating um, kind of profiles here stuff, GSOH <laughs> is mm. like one of the biggest things. Are you saying in Germany that's not like? They go for more pragmatic things in the dating profiles, aren't they? I haven't been on a German dating website, um, but uh, they probably would. They probably they would get a mention 
but then at the same time, I think they would uh, they would list their academic uh, degree as well. So uh, yeah, I mean, like you know, I mean, particularly with women to, uh, looking for men in this country, good sense of humour is 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 so high, isn't it? You know, and if you look at like you know the weekend club circuit, a lot of like Hindus more than stag dudes will go to comedy nights. Um, and if there's one thing they haven't got, it's a good sense of humour. Yeah, well, they've sort of outsourced it, haven't they? <laughs> there's too many women in the group. They're all feeling a bit tense looking around. They know it's going to be a bit uptight. So they thought, well, at least we'll have two hours where we'll just get some professionals in to do the job. Whereas I think that when you come like to stag dudes, you often get the impression that when they do go to comedy, they realise it was a terrible mistake because they all think that they're hilarious anyway. So like by, by the minute, you know, they're standing at the bar... Uh, drinking, I actually saw like Hindus. I mean, this is one thing actually that people outside the comedy world don't necessarily realise is just how awful the behaviour can be. You know, and I'm not, I'm not saying like women in group. I'm talking specifically Hindus. I was well, I was at a gig in London, and the whole audience was Hindus, right? And then the the, the closing act were on there, a musical act, and they got halfway through the set and they'd done really well at turning a terrible gig around. And then this one woman stand up and said, "Sorry," to the headline act. Sorry, she said, it's just that I've done this scrapbook for my friend and I just want to read it out. And she got all emotional. And because it was a room full of hens in, in, in like a, a similar headspace, like that would have been shut down in any other situation. Like, what the fuck do you, like, who do you think you are? They all started clapping. No so the headline way. act that were a musical act then looked confused and started playing. <laughs> if I could show you Henry's face right now, it's an absolute picture. They started playing um, sort of like background music as this woman there. And then you, when you were seven. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> So luckily, I wasn't on that. Uh, I wasn't on that jungle scene for overly long. No, no, no. You you so, burst through quite quick. Yeah. And yeah, so essentially, I went round it. Yeah. Because yeah. there was, uh, I tried to get onto the jungle scene, and then uh, their booker said to me, "Someone with a German accent is unacceptable to our audiences." Really. Hmm. So, and then I thought, well, you wouldn't say that if I was Chinese, but no. at the same time, I thought, fair enough, that is the way it is. I'd rather yeah. you tell me than yeah. me trying to gain to that club and picking up the phone time and again. Yeah. And then getting some excuses. So I was really grateful for it. I thank you very much for being, uh, being upfront about it. At least I know where, where I stand on that issue. Well, these days, that would be a short or lead story, wouldn't it? You'd, uh, you'd flogged that for all that it was worth. <laughs> <laughs> But you, uh, like, there's a couple of things that sort of bind us in a way. You, you've also done um, Question Time. You did excellently on it. Um, and you had, like, I was looking back at the, the, the clips that you did. And, and one of the things that you did was you admitted uh, or, or you referenced the fact that, that, that politics has become entertainment, right? Like, it's become entertaining. You know, you joked about wanting there to be more referendums. I think, I think that some people have been slow to pick up on, on just what a form of entertainment it has become. You know, it's 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 laughter in the dark, but it's still the best soap opera out there. Brilliant, yes. I mean, and the thing is about Premier League football is soap opera as well, but it's yeah. just for the blokes. And uh, Brexit, I mean, funnily enough, also I feel like the blokes get more humour out of it, get more entertainment out of it. But uh, I mean, that, I think that really is fun for the whole family. <laughs> because they have to think, like... Irrespective, like say, football is predominantly blokes, but like Brexit, everyone's got an opinion on. Yes. Any generation, any gender, everyone's got a take on it. And I think in a funny way, it's really bringing society together. On the one hand, you can say it polarises mm. it, but it's everyone's time to talk about. Well, yeah, I mean, from when you came to this country, so you came here in the early noughties, would that be... Uh, yeah, old too, I think. Right, so, yeah, so you've seen, like, it go from, during the Blair years, like, an, like a fairly apolitical system. I mean, apart from the... Well, in, then there was the, the Iraq war. In the Iraq war, and that was it. That was the main game in town, wasn't it? And it wasn't really a left-right issue as such. And then you've seen it become this kind of, like, a hotbed. You know, it's a real... Uh, you know, we're, we're all... I, I do think when you watch Question Time sometimes, it does feel a bit like football. You're sort of keeping... A score in your mind. How, how did you find the experience of doing the show? Well, what I found slightly terrifying was the build-up to it because, mm. I mean, as you know, they record it as live. So if yeah. you say something really daft, they can't edit it out. Mm. So Unless then, you quickly say cunt straight after. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll yeah. keep that in mind. If keep saying it. cunt while Fiona Bruce uh. is trying to talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... Um, 
Yeah, no, I, so the, the, I was slightly concerned about it in the, in the build-up mm. because I thought, no, if this goes wrong, this goes properly wrong and no one can save that in the edit. Mm. Uh, but then, I mean, you talk about Brexit and all that, I mean, we all, we, we, we all, we all got our opinion and they, I mean, you could always have a chin wag about that for hours and days. Mm. So I knew that was going to be all right. And then, uh, yeah, if you just, you, you, you give, say, the MPs on there, you give them the benefit of the doubt and think, mm. well, they are more into that, deeper into that matter. Yeah. They know more details. But in many ways, that can prevent them really from standing outside and, and, and being able to look at it from the outside with a, with a clear mind. In many ways, being not part of that bubble all that much, in many ways, m- makes it probably easier for you to argue along broader lines. Yeah, it is, it is a terrifying prospect. Then I think that... While you're up there, it feels all right because it's just a gig, isn't it? It's a room. There's not that many people. There's an audience, what, 150 to 200? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, obviously, the show has an afterlife, which is then when it goes out. And it's the, the difference between the experience of doing it and, and how people feel about it. Like, because obviously, I, would, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't check, like, the, the responses and stuff to you. But even, like, you saying something like, oh, it's highly entertaining. I wish there were more referendums. There will be people there going, oh, right, okay, so the country's going to the dogs and, and you just think it's funny, do you? You get every kind of like sensitive arsehole mm. come out of the woodworks and you and you um, one point that I think people you maybe surprised people about you was when was when you said that you don't think that many people have changed their minds and you questioned the wisdom of a second referendum there how how do people respond to that well everyone made of that what they wanted isn't it for some uh, that just saying just saying that, I don't think that many people have changed their mind, which is entirely backed up by the result of the European election, because yeah. that was the same 50-50 yeah, yeah. it's always been. Just pointing that out makes you an arch-Brexiteer somehow, and yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's just how people take it, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it's strange, like, that thing of people looking into what you're saying. Like, when I think people, when they're in a room with you, and certainly this is true of comedy gigs as well, they can't deny context and sentiment and stuff. Uh, if you write an article, or if there's, like, a Twitter clip of you, people can really rip it out of context. I remember oh, you, yeah, I mean, I mean, where do you start? Michael mm-hmm. Goff saying, we've had enough of experts. Well, it's not what he said. No, that was contextualised. Totally. So, yeah. and, and essentially all them quotes, we're saying... What lunatic would say that? Yes. Well, 99 of 100 times, they didn't say that. Mm. Or they said them words, but in a broader context. But there is no one's got any interest on keeping the context and then just ripping it out. Like, Ed Miliband, with the photos of him looking really awkward eating that bacon sandwich. Mm. When you see the whole clip of him eating the bacon sandwich, he eats it like any normal yeah, yeah. human being eats it. But if you then just take a still photograph of it, no, oh, he looks completely retarded. <laughs> well, it's like, it's like almost, you're right, that's like almost a metaphor. If you just take one little snapshot, and I 100% agree with Go's comments about experts. It was obvious what he was saying. He was talking about like the inability of, of uh, sort of economic uh, think tanks and, and merchant bankers and stuff to predict what was going to happen in the economy. You know, mm. it's, it's a completely, I mean, it's, in some ways, it's where the Brexit vote came from, was that the experts seemed to be singularly unable to, to predict things anymore. I mean, even, I remember even like, not at the beginning of this year, obviously the pound has tanked a bit this year, but at the beginning of last year, they asked like 15 big bankers, you know, like, where is the pound going to be versus the dollar uh, by the end of the year? And the sort of median range prediction was like a dollar 10, a dollar 15, some were predicting parity. And by the end of the year, I think it was like a dollar, it was like a dollar 26, you know what I mean? So almost nobody had predicted that it was going to be there and this keeps happening oh yeah they're again all very good at reading their graphs after it's happened they're all very yeah. good at seeing what happened in the past and yeah then, they're uh, brilliant at predicting the past well, when it then is about <laughs> they almost the got 100% record when it comes uh, to predicting the past okay just uh, chipping in here just to plug a couple of things got some tour shows here that I need to, a little push on Southampton Southampton, I'm at the Nuffield Theatre, which sounds like a hospital. Isn't that a kind of private health thing? Am I, am I just going to be performing with fucking booper cunts? Um, but I'm performing at the Nuffield Theatre in Southampton. And you would think, right, that I would have the dates of these in front of me as I speak of this. But you're right, because I do, and I totally wasn't just logging in there and trying to buy time. Of course, I'm at the Nuffield Theatre in Southampton on... The 2nd of November, he said after a quick scroll. Yeah, the NST campus, whatever the fuck that is, 
Um, so yeah, it's quite a big room and stuff. Tickets, have, we've got a few hundred in there already. It'll be good to see as many of you there uh, as possible. I don't really know what to say about I can't do the Southampton accent. It's quite, I don't know. Feel free to kind of contact me and let me know. I know like Portsmouth, they're all, you know, fucking like, you don't want to mess with Pompey. Whereas Southampton, I don't know, like it's, it's, Southampton's not like a tough place, is it? But I'm sure the footy fans are right now getting offended thinking... I'm not saying that if it came down to a scrap between you and Portsmouth that you wouldn't hold your own. But I don't know, man. I've seen <laughs> those Portsmouth fans. Look, when, when, when you've got less in life, you tend to fight harder. That's what I'm saying about Portsmouth. Uh, then other shows are South End. Uh, South End, with, I'm doing the big room. Oh, yeah. Doing the big room at South End Palace Theatre. And that is on the 11th of October. And South End... It's always been good to me. You know, it's one of the first places I sold out a tour show before I'd even done fucking, like, any television. Uh, they're just so desperate, like, for a, for a Tory <laughs> that they came along. So come along South End. If you don't live in South End, make a fucking day of it, right? Come to have the day off on the Friday. Call in sick. Do that thing. You know when people say, oh, I've been up half the night being sick. People always say that, don't they? Like, half the night. You know, well, which half? Because if it was the first half, then clearly you're right. Get the fuck into work. Um, but I'm there on the 11th of October. And again, you know, selling decent, big room though. So be good to see as many people there uh, as possible. And then the other one I'm going to plug here is Leeds. Dirty Leeds. Can't fucking wait for this one. I think I've mentioned it before. Uh, Leeds is coming up on the 24th of October. So that's a Thursday at Leeds City Varieties. That's going to be a belter. And then the other one, of course, is is the, you know, I got stick about not, I, I used to say I was doing a UK tour but I only toured in England, which people quite rightly called me out on. So we've got uh, dates in the UK. We've got the Glee Club in Glasgow on the 26th of September, the Thursday. Friday, the 27th of September in Belfast. Then we're also in Cardiff. We're in Cardiff towards the end of the tour on the 10th uh, of November. We are in Aberdeen, mate. We're in Aberdeen on Sunday, the 27th of October. Fucking Sunday. In Aberdeen. That's going to be amazing weather, isn't it? Aberdeen. Aberdeen. Is it just harder, is it? Come on, you fuck. I like Aberdeen because their football team also had the nickname the Dons, like my team, Wimbledon. So that's pretty arbitrary sort of shit that us football fans like to get enter into. But yeah, would love to see you uh, any or all or some of those dates. Anyway, let's get back to the chat with Henning. Speaking of the EU, I mean, he's, we don't ever get much of a sense of, of anti-EU sentiment uh, in Germany. Is, is it high? I mean, obviously, Germany is a massive country. Is it higher in different parts of the country? Yeah, well, for starters, well, you, there's obviously massive difference. Britain is an island. Germany has got nine land borders. Yeah. So that obviously... Uh, and Britain's got one land border, and that is already unsurmountable problem. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, Trying to do that with nine, that is obviously nine times the nine times the difficulty. And um, yes, yeah, uh, therefore there is an understanding that the European Union is good for Germany and the idea of no war in Western Europe for the past seventy years that has to be a good thing. And the European Union played a big part in getting us there. So there's all those upsides that are understood. And on an economic level. The European Union and the Euro has been incredibly good for Germany because if it wasn't for Greece and all their other basket cases, the Euro would be much stronger and German exports would be down massively on where, where they are now because yeah. then Germany would be the equivalent to the Swiss franc, mm. so the German Deutschmark. So therefore, economically, the Euro has been very good for, for, for Germany. Mm. Uh, and that is understood as well. And are there... Have people got different opinions on where you are? Well, the former East is still what you mustn't forget about the former East Germany. They went through a period of 70 years without any, without democracy because mm. there was first, uh, well, the Weimar Republic was a bit of a odd period anyway. Then the, the 12 glory years and then after that, <laughs> uh, then after that complete unmitigated disaster, there was East Germany. Yeah. So they haven't had, so they, they've got no democratic sensibility and they've got no the idea of civic ownership and all mm. that doesn't exist. So and that is still mirrored in the election results because they are very different between the old West Germany and the old East Germany and that obviously is true. For the union as well, the results here in Scotland completely different from England. Mm. England completely different from Wales and Northern Ireland completely different story again. So and that division does 
exist in Germany and uh, it's very hard to overcome because East Germany is essentially the people who live there is, is small children, people on the dole and pensioners. Mm. So when anyone... So it's like a sort of like uh, Scarborough or like a... Yeah, without dissing, uh, without dissing uh, East Yorkshire, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it is, it is, it is like that. Yeah. It is like, uh, and there is the difference. Probably is that actually heaps and heaps, lots and lots of money has been pumped mm. into East Germany in the way the north of England hasn't seen any investment from central government. So, but like the infrastructure in the in the old East is phenomenal. Like the motorways, they're all flawless, and 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 and. and and, and every town centre and lots of money thrown in it, renovating the town halls and all. They all look stunning. Mm. But the trouble is, no one lives there. And the people who live there have got, feel like they're second class citizens and uh, they've got very odd opinions. Not, not, not odd, but opinions that are very different from what they're like in the former uh, uh, West. Like mm. you have got the AFD, the far right party. They're in large parts of the old East Germany, the strongest party. And the second most popular party is uh, the uh, old communists. Mm. They're now going under a different name. Now they're calling themselves the Linke, the left. Mm. Uh, but that is essentially the old state party. And what is in interesting about that is what we have to understand is that the, uh, the Linke, the old state party, in a funny old way, that is obviously the party of the establishment. It's mm. just that that is the establishment of what it was like until 89. Yes, yeah. So, like, you, you look and you... you, you it's, People it's think establishment in this country, they automatically think right, don't they? Whereas, like you're saying, in this situation, that was the old sort of continuity. Exactly right. So, and they're also, they are like... If you go to an East German town mm. and uh, you go around the town centre of any of them, the big building opposite the town hall will be the offices of the Linke, because mm. that's the old building of the East German State Party. Yeah. So, and they obviously they inherited all the properties, and so they're still there. They have got them there, there for, the, for, the, for the citizens. So if you've got a problem with your dowel or whatever, you can come in there, and essentially there's like a citizen there, a citizen advice bureau. So it's, and, and so in that structure is very, very different than to come round uh, between East and West. And, so to answer your question, how is the European Union perceived in Germany? I think overall very positively, but with slightly more scepticism in the former East, where, because there is also there is more racism and what, because essentially they were never exposed to different cultures. Mm. So everything seems scary to them. Yeah, that's interesting. So I think I, I've become more fascinated with Germany as I've got, Older, I think like one thing you just didn't realise was the the, the scale, the, the size of the country, and obviously the different cultures within that. You grew up, which part of Germany did you grow up in? Westphalia. Westphalia. Which is near, uh, in the Ruhr Valley, the big industrial part in the former West. Yeah, it just shows town. my level of ignorance. I genuinely thought that was a place that you made up for your, for your comedy show. Westphalia, like Westeros or something like that. So it's an actual place. Yeah. So you can see, you know. <laughs> 1648, piece of Westphalia. So what what was that like? There was a, what I was hope that was in sixteen forty eight. Otherwise, that sounded quite dumb, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what was the sort of like biggest place that someone like me would know? So where was it closest? Dortmund. To? Oh right, okay. Dortmund, Bochum, yeah, Düsseldorf, Cologne, so Schalke. I, I do. I mean, you've lived here a long time now, and, and one of the things I think people love like here when you hear you talk is like the ease with which you you use British phrases and stuff, and it seems to be a part of you. Is there any any thought of uh, Returning to the fatherland. There is no instant plan no. now because uh, I really enjoy living here and I mm. my, 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 my life is here. Mm. So I wouldn't have I wouldn't have no problem going back to Germany. Not not mm. at all. But uh, like professionally, work wise, I wouldn't know what to do mm. because uh, I always say, well, I would love to go back, but I've got no transferable skills. Yeah. So um, so the, the the circuit there, the scene there, is that not a place that you would. Well, I feel like I've been out of Germany for such a long time, I really don't know what I could possibly add to social discourse. Yeah. Because, I mean, I can tell everyone what it was like 20 years ago, but I can't tell them what it's like now. <laughs> so, I'm not really... 
I mean, never stop Peter K. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what you see. That kind of the, yeah, yeah, the German equivalent. Nostalgia, some raw belly nostalgia act. Well, you, I mean, um, you had the, like an interesting thing when you first come over. I was really surprised. You were you worked in the marketing department at Wickham Wanderers. Yeah, so, how three matches, you? seven points. What a start to the season that was. Gareth Ainsworth, come on. Is that, is that is that still your team now? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, I like, I like. How long were you? How long were you working there? Best part of a year. Yeah, and then the CEO got the boot, and everyone who who we brought in also got the boot. So I was one of them. I think I think people miss out in this um, this country on on uh, the joys of of not like non league football, lower league football, because someone like me, I, I am an incredibly nostalgic person. So when you go to some of those grounds, I, I would argue I think League One is the best league, right? Because what you get, AFC Wimbledon, my team are currently there. And, and what you get is you get the occasional big giant that drops down into that division. Oh, yeah. Like Sunderland is in Ipswich. He's in there. It's phenomenal. There's always a team like that. Sheffield United a few years. I mean, Bolton and they're bottom off the table. Yeah, and you're like, we get to go there and you have these away days and yeah. stuff. But then you'll also get like very small teams coming up from uh, League Two as well, mm. briefly. So Hopefully Forest Green, Britain's first vegan team. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I really don't understand how a Saturday football experience happens without... Some kind of processed meat, but you—that's not how you're, you're... too narrow-minded. Try it; it's delicious. They so you 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 you're vegan yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I noticed that because you is it is is on on Twitter. You 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 follow one of the most limited amounts of people I've ever seen. You follow like eight people, <laughs> which I think is brilliant. And um and you follow the vegan society. Is that you're very committed vegan? Well, committed as in that I don't eat animal products. Yeah, yeah but I mean, is that like a, an ideological thing for you, or, or is it? Well, it's like a bit of everything. It's like health, and then if you mm. can avoid creating yeah. harm or causing harm, then you might as well. I I think that it's been coming interesting because I talk about vegans in, in my show, but like everyone seems to be expecting me to to pile into them. But I don't. The point is, 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 is I'm trying to say, like, I'm, I'm secure enough in my meat sexuality that I, I'm not threatened by it, the existence of veganism. That's what I actually find funny, is people getting angry about vegans because it's still You're what, pushing like, it down your throat. Yeah, <laughs> it ain't natural. Yeah. <laughs> Get that Linda McCartney sausage yeah. out of my face. I don't, yeah. I don't roll that way. I, I want some processed meat. Come on. I do love all that stuff. Mm. I really, I've got, I, I just anything salty. I mean, I'm just. And obviously, like a lot of, you know, what, what certainly what somebody like me with no German cuisine for, it is meaty. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. a very meaty uh, cuisine. But it's only like 2% of people that are vegans, isn't it? I, I thought it was higher than that, but in, in overall Britain. Yeah, know. on the comedy circuit, it will be more than 2%, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Fucking milkshake, smoothie, vegan wankers on the comedy circuit. Yeah, but it has to be dairy milk, uh, dairy-free milk, isn't it? Can't yeah, be any yeah, old milk. Yeah. Is there a thing on the comedy circuit where it does, I mean, you know, in part of, you know, it's part of the thing of starting this podcast, where it is like it, its value system, uh, you know, broadly speaking, is now more out of step with your average British person than maybe it was when I started comedy. You know, like that weekend club comedy circuit you sort of had to, you didn't have to, but it was helpful if you could reflect some of their worldview I back I think to there you have to distinguish between the people that get the airtime in the media mm. and the people who do stand up because I think amongst the people on mainstream media who are on all them shows, mm. they probably are more out of sync with the general public than yeah. they were good few years ago. Yeah, even 10 years ago. It feels yeah, like yeah, changed. I think I'd yeah. agree with that. Yeah. But that might be me just being bitter and old. <laughs> yeah. So, and I don't know how much that is part of it, but it's like, yeah, I mean, some of the stuff they come up with, with all that feminism and all that, I mean, it's all lovely, but I mean, it's just, is that really, is that really what's happening in Warrington? <laughs> I think it's, it's funny, isn't it? Feminism does have a problem where, like, if you, if you put the core beliefs of feminism to most people they go well yeah I mean, it just shouldn't all be common sense yeah like it'd be you'd have to make an argument to not and then that, now yeah. I tell you what you know what gets yeah. me is yeah. when there is the people would go they're all feminists but they mm. eat meat and, and eggs yeah so how are you a feminist <laughs> you're, you're eating lamb here there's a sheep there's a female sheep that has been artificially impregnated so essentially a rape victim you're eating a rape <laughs> victim are you telling me you're telling me you're feminist? What kind of feminist are you? It's ridiculous. They haven't thought it through at all. And then you see them, Charles, being given awards right, left and centre, and they haven't even thought through the basics. What?
I do think at the end of the show we're uh, doing letters people like engage with the shows and stuff and like sort of advice type thing so you got you alright for time a little bit yeah no just a few of them um, this guy is for Gareth he's in Wales and he says I've moved in with my girlfriend of two years I think I think his girlfriend's older than that I think he's been going out with her two years um, she wants a dog um, I don't however I'm punching above my weight with this one will I grow to love it um, and I think that, again that probably means the dog um, what, what do you think here? Like two years... What's his conundrum? Say again. His conundrum is, is that he's moving in with his girlfriend he's been with two years and yeah. she wants a dog, which the way he's put it sounds like it might be a kind of precondition mm. of the moving in. He's, he's mentioned that, that she's more attractive than him. Uh, so he's kind of wondering, should he just bite the bullet and get the dog? He's worried about perhaps... He hasn't said his age, but I'm getting the impression this is a slightly younger man. Um that he's worried about the responsibility of... The, he doesn't want a dog. He doesn't think that he wants a dog at this point. Where, where are you on dogs? I can't quite see the point to feed some randomly chosen animal to another randomly chosen animal. That's I, my problem with pet ownership in general. So you, so that's your level of animal rights thing then? That you, would you even I think it's ridiculous. What, owning pets? Well, it depends on... What, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you have one that only eats green stuff, I can just about... Get, yeah. See the point, even there, obviously, I mean, you haven't asked them if they want to live in a cage. Yes. But to get an animal and feed other animals to that animal, that's bloody pointless. <laughs> so you, you, your question is to so forget the actual... Don't get a dog. Don't get a dog. But he, say for, just for argument's sake, that you, yeah. that you, you didn't question it on such a, a fundamental... What, so if you're, you're this, is, this is a problem, man. I've I, I got a dog, it's, it's great having a dog. It really... It really is. I mean, it is, it is um, an expedient... How do you feel it? Is it vegan? Uh, I'm going to say yes, because we're near the end of the interview and I want to end on good terms. But truth is, it's actually this weird dried food. But no, it says like lamb, duck and all, all that kind yeah, of stuff yeah, yeah. on it. I mean, like if it was I mean, if it was out in the wild, it'd be eating living things as well. Yeah, probably, if it's fast enough. Yeah, yeah. although if you met my dog, I don't think so. My dog, she's a fucking coward. I mean, she is like, if she was a human, I don't think we'd get her. And she'll have to rise to the challenge out there. What, are you after Brexit in this, like, mad max? No, I don't mean that, but if you said, if you let her uh, run yeah. loose and don't feed her ever again. She's a cockapoo, which I, is not the most manly kind of dog um, to have. What do they look like? They, uh, well, I mean, obviously a bit a bit cocker, you know. So they, they it's really interesting with dogs, like how, this is where I, I sometimes think that I, I, I'm more comfortable stereotyping humans. It's because, like, like you look at like species of dogs, yeah, and they literally act exactly how they're fucking supposed to act. You know, cocker spaniel. So she's got two sides to her personality: the cocker side of her, you take her out, she roll around and shit, chase stuff. You know, but if she's in the poodle mood, she'll just sit there and, and desire to be admired. Like uh, bipolar. Yeah, she is. That's what a lot of these kind of mashup dogs are, aren't they? Mm. We created these. Uh, maybe we should medicate them as, <laughs> as well. There's times when she could have done with being put on Ritalin. Um, Gav, I would say get the dog, sign a prenup on the dog because if you do grow to love it too much, and this comes to a hasty end because you said she's more attractive than you, I would just I would make sure that you're on legally firm footing in terms of the dog. Yeah, and probably attend a course for self confidence. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was coming through as well, was it? I mean there wasn't there wasn't much written there, but actually that seems to be he doesn't think that he's as good looking as his girlfriend and he doesn't know if he can grow to love a dog I mean like whatever you think about dog ownership is most people that have one do grow to love it so just, just fucking mm. man up Gareth Jesus just take life on get a big Alsatian get a bit of a big German big shepherd Alsatian, dog yeah, yes exactly. yeah those big are monster there were scarier dogs around when I was younger there was like more there was Alsatians Dobermans Rottweilers now most of these dogs are like hypoallergenic <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, the real vicious one, they've been outlawed, haven't they? Yeah, but, I mean, those are the, the, the breeds that I just mentioned, I think, are, are still, um, still... I, You know, people that have, like, like Staffies, people love Staffordshire Bull Terriers, but I've always thought it is essentially Freestone and Mustard. Also, don't forget, you've moved away from the estate. I've moved Probably away... the estate has got still the same spread yeah. of dogs, it's just you're not there anymore, and you're there in your middle-class enclave somewhere... Well, they, oh look, there's always another cockapoodle or whatever you call them. Yeah, you're right. I've been I've been gentrified in terms of my expectations of dogs because where I lived on the estate, the family that lived upstairs, they had a dog that they called Bruno, after, Good. after Frank Bruno, 
and they had a, they the and then the Bruno was a girl. Um, and then they had, <laughs> they had, they had um, they, Bruno had a litter of puppies. <laughs> and, they, and they kept one of the puppies and they called it Puppy. <laughs> and I was always thought it was brilliantly postmodern, you know, just 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 call it what it is, Puppy. But then Puppy grew a bit bigger than Bruno, and they were both, they're both kind of terrifying. I just don't think like like why you would. You gonna... wouldn't think you would be terrified of something called Puppy, but yeah. But do you know like like I think it, I've always thought in yeah. South London like the more. Friendly a pub sounds the scarier. It, I think more stabbings. I think happens there. So if it's called like the Jolly Gardeners, yeah. I'm looking over my shoulder. Do you know what I mean? Where like if you get like a pub called the Black Ship, that's normally like some emo. And I check. Yeah. I go by the roof. If it's flat roof, avoid at all costs. That is a really good. That is. I'll, I'll let my listeners will love that. That is. That's a brilliant observation. <laughs> <laughs> the final question and this is the thing I've been getting going is about a, 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 a notional idea of who would win a fight between two political figures um, <laughs> and this one is this hopefully is, the police <laughs> yeah, maybe we shouldn't be uh, advocating political violence this is high this is like celebrity deathmatch so, right? so this is from Treaders in Wandsworth I actually know I know a bloke called Treadwell in Wandsworth um, who would win a fight between Sajid and Chuka? I instinctively, I'm heavily going Sajid. I think he looks. Yeah, again, we're coming back to infrastructure, and he was the uh, he, he was running the home office, wasn't he? Yeah. So he has got access to all the to all the gear <laughs> the and all the police officers and batons and everything. Pepper spray. Exactly. They, they, I think we, the, the idea of this is, is full on like fisticuffs. No, no, no shivs, shanks, weapons, mm. shooters. I, I think I mean, Chuka is a bit taller, I think. So, so he might rangy. Reach. Yeah, he, he might rangy. Range. I don't think Chuka's got the inner steel. And maybe that is me stereotyping like liberal elite. And he's type younger, guys. though. He's younger. He's younger. And let's not forget the impact of that. I think Sajid, if one thing that the, the Sajid power stance gives him is a very grounded sort of centre of gravity there. But he's only very little, isn't he? Yeah, but he looks sort of furious, and he's got that big old he's conk a bus on him. Driver's son. He is. I don't so, know if you know. If you, if he you know try, Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't bring it up, but apparently <laughs> he's got that. But he's got a massive head. I would never dream of bringing up my background. <laughs> or me. I would never. I would never play the identity thing. Jeff Norcott, Brexit, Tory vote, working class, uh, and now living in Cambridgeshire. Um, I think that I think it's sta- very, very. I mean, very nice shirt you're wearing, by the way. I just want to tell the listeners. This is fifteen quid, mate. This is. I, do you know what? You there is a couple of shirts I've got are all right. The um, this one actually, I was such a, I was such a cheap shirt. I went in Debenhams to get some new t-shirts, and the wife. Had Debenhams said, is it now? Yes, but I went to the discount rail, and the wife had said, "Spend a few quid." Do you know what I mean? She see me on telly. She thinks I look like shit, and I do look like shit. And then I found this one rail, and this 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 brand, whoever they are, called Tog. Right, Toga or something. Um, they were all fifteen quid, and I bought eight of them. <laughs> so completely, I spent what she thought I should have spent on one t-shirt. I spent, I spent on eight. Yeah, t-shirt. I saw you on that telly program where you was investigating your roots. And yeah. Then you were there with that dating culture, what wasn't it? And she said, throw some money at it. Yes. Yeah. My wife loved that. That was her favourite bit of the show. She um, and I must admit that once like that, that she did. She had a very easy touch, that woman. <laughs> she she made me she did make me feel good about myself, but I still I still I don't know. Oh, you look like a dick by the end. Yeah, I look like a dick. I think most of those things are. I, I was uh, yeah, I got I've got stick. One one of the consequences of doing that show is that all my mates, if I do anything vaguely middle class now, I just point it out immediately. So yeah. I, I didn't. Uh, I sort of put myself up to be shot down. <laughs> but just to c- conclude on this, uh, Sajid, yeah. I think Sajid a headbutt from Sajid Javid. Could be devastating. If he can get up to his chin now. That's true, isn't it? He might even do... Just on the sternum now. Yeah, that was exactly what I was thinking. Just a surprise Zinedine Zidane. Yeah. On the sternum, he would have Chuka. I mean, if Chuka could keep him and just keep him outside, just pick him off with with jabs there, I'm going to go Sajid, and I think it'd be over fairly quickly. Dang it, I really hope the police win. (laughs) <laughs> he's got the instruments of state as you say his hands listen uh, Henning thank you so much uh, for coming on the show Just thank you very much Jeff so tell us where, where people find you online when's the tour oh they can do their own research if they can't I mean they out. just put in uh, Google Henning exactly right live shows although you, you've seen what people like on Twitter you put you post about your shows all the time yeah go, you come in at Leeds you go yeah yeah just like <laughs> link tour shows <laughs> 
That is the level of thing. So, you know, look, but maybe one thing that this guarantees is that people that come are actually ones that are willing to do um, the homework. But Head in Vain, thank you so much for coming on What Most People Think. Thank you very much, Jeff Norcott. Okay, just a quick men's mental health one here. Like I said, I didn't want to just talk about it, um, subjects unless I had something specific to say here. But there was, um, I just saw that there was, I think it was Nicki Minaj that was talking about um, toxic relationships, right? Uh, and, and, and I think there's quite a lot of women in the public eye. Rightly, you know, why shouldn't you talk about if somebody has treated you badly, um, psychologically abused you? By all means, talk about it. But there, there is that sense currently in the discourse in the media that, that toxic relationships are always caused or led by men. And I just, I just got like, like men don't date toxic women, right? Women, women can fucking wreck a man's head. You know, we all know this. We've all seen one of our mates that's in one of those relationships. And he's often stuck in it because like something like he's punching above his weight or, or the sex because she's a fucking nutter. The sex is so good. That he he just doesn't know because like every time he just it just probably the same as it is for women right with a bad boy or something every time they have sex you think well that you know that kind of compensates for a bit of it and men get that too men get that too I've been in I've been in a toxic relationship the problem is right is that men I don't and this is a stereotype about men you can contest this if you want I think most people think this though is that men don't have the same emotional vocabulary as women so once you get into an argument with a woman, once most you know, everyday blokes get into an argument with a woman, it is not a fair fight, is it? It's not a fair fight because she'll be, if she's angry, right, and, she's, and she, she wants you to be angry, so she will then do things that will put, run you through the gears of your anger, because blokes always want to stay calm, don't they? They're like, babe, no, why are you shouting, babe? Babe, no. And that, you being fucking reasonable in the face of their fury is... Well, they don't. They often don't like that, right? So what they would then do is they'll they'll drop, they'll lay some fucking booby traps to see if they can explode you, right? Uh, maybe, maybe something a little bit emasculating, you know, <laughs> something, something about that that cause questions to your your earning capacity, you know, like just something that fucking blows you out over the top, and then, and 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 you know this is true because often when when you do blow up, right, and then you're shouting, there's that weird smile. You ever seen that smile, chaps? On their face, you think, why is she smiling? This this looks fucking... <laughs> this is disturbing, that little smile that's curled across her face. Now, of course, I'm not saying all women here. I'm talking about toxic relationships with women. And yeah, toxic... The problem with toxic is they are intoxicating because you're on this kind of like... It's more of a young person thing, isn't it? But, you know, but look, male or female, if by the age of 25 you're still dating fucking idiots, it's, it's you. You're the problem. You're the problem. You're the only common thread... In every, you know, the only fucking character that has appeared in every one of your relationship clusterfucks is you. You're the only returning character. So therefore, you've got to accept responsibility that you're sort of making this happen. Uh, and that might be called victim blaming. I call it taking control. So the points I'm making here is that, blokes, if you are in a toxic relationship, all right, it is every, you know, if it, we're talking about psychological abuse here, it's not worse if it comes from a man to a woman. The idea that gaslighting is is somehow something that, that only men have worked out to do. Us fucking stupid men that just are, are so clumsy emotionally. We, we've somehow developed the ability of gaslighting. Women, women have no, no ability. So I'll tell you a version of gaslighting is women constantly moving men's shit. And then acting like you don't know your own house because they decided to fucking reorganise the front room. Anyway, this has now become therapy for me. But just, you know, look, talk to your lads about it. Yeah? Talk to your lads. The thing about blokes is it's just starting that fucking conversation, isn't it? But mostly blokes do want to talk about this stuff. And, you know, if anything, it's a chance for them to get some, some stuff off their chest too. So, yeah. Anyway, sermon over. Okay, so that is the end of the show here. Um, we, as ever, I, if you give me a review on iTunes, I always read out the five-star ones or the insulting ones if they're funny. So I haven't had any insulting ones for a while, he said, sort of a humble brag, but there have been a couple of five-stars. One of them, fucking type in, can you hear me typing right there? One of them was from a bloke, although as I'm logging in here, there is a chance that there's a new one, which is horrible. Um, oh, this is from Jeff Miller. Um, so Jeff says, this is a five star, never laughed out loud more at a podcast, which is high praise. Cheers, Jeff. Uh, he says, what voice am I going to do here? I'm going to do it a bit like my dad used to speak. 
Just as left-wing comedians of the early 80s made people laugh across the political landscape in a fractured and difficult time, so Jeff Norcott's observations from a right-wing standpoint of the ridiculousness of today's world make you laugh out loud, even if, like me, you're an archetypal pinko liberal Remainer. Nice use of the word pinko there, Jeff. I think our younger listeners won't know that one, mate, so it's sort of, I think that ages us both a little bit. It says, Jeff Miller, 66, maybe that was the year you were born. Fucking good year, Jeff. Came home that year. Um, not the English football fans are clinging on in any way. Uh, and the other, the other one, I mean, there's been loads of five-star reviews. I don't mean the other one. I mean, like, one of the other many's is by Aidan Devon, right? I don't know if this means that he's from Devon. Oh, yeah, yeah, because he says he's going to come see me in Plymouth. So this, this is an easy accent. I searched this out after booking... Or is that more Norfolk? No, Plymouth's more like that, you cunt, isn't it? Um, I searched this out after booking tickets to see Jeff in Plymouth later this year. Uh, a constant source of wet and amusement, well-rounded debate, and wherever you ever listen, Aidan. Okay, punctuation there. He's put his own name at the end. Maybe he's speaking to himself. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I would have gone, worthy of a listen, comma, Aidan, full stop. But that's just the old English teacher in me being a prick. Anyway, listen, if the, I hope that you uh, enjoyed uh, all the chat with, with Henning. Uh, I want to thank him again for coming on the podcast. Uh, you know, he didn't plug his tour show, but, you know, Get online. It's gonna. It's always great uh, with Henning. And if this if this is the first time that you've listened to this podcast, do have a look back in the back catalogue. There's interviews with like Romish Ranganathan, uh, Catherine Ryan, uh, Ian Stone, uh, Simon Evans. People seem to really love those ones, and many more besides. So have a little dig into the back catalogue. Please subscribe, give it a nice rating and review, and um, keep it Brexit. What most people think.